I signed an order appointing Jack Smith. And nobody knows you. And those who say Jack is a fanatic. Mr. Smith is a veteran career prosecutor. Wait, what law have I broke? The events leading up to and on January 6th. Classified documents and other presidential records. You understand what prison is? Send me to jail. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 65 and a half of Jack, the podcast about things all special counsel. And my dream is dead. I'm Allison Gill. That is the saddest intro we have done in uh, over a year of shows, but it's appropriate nonetheless. I'm Andy McCabe and uh, also kind of stunned by the Supreme Court decision to really weigh into this case and uh, very concerned for the future of what's going to happen to the election case. Yeah. And uh, this could really uh, and will have an impact on when the trial is held. I was hoping that they would deny the stay. But let me just read to you the order. It says, Sir Sharari granted the application for stay presented to Chief Justice uh, and by him to the court. Special counsel's request to treat the stay application as a petition for writ of Sir Sharari is granted. And that petition is granted limited to the following question. Whether and if so, to what extent does a former president enjoy presidential immunity from criminal prosecution for conduct alleged to involve official acts during his tenure in office? Without expressing a view on the merits, this court directs the Court of Appeals to continue withholding issuance of the mandate until the sending down of the judgment of this court. The application for a stay is dismissed as moot. The case will be set for oral arguments during the week of April 22nd, 2024. Petitioner's brief on the merits and any amicus curiae briefs in support or in support of neither party are to be filed on or before Tuesday, March 19th. Wow, that's three weeks from now. Respondent's brief on the merits and any amicus curiae briefs in support of that are to be filed on or before Monday, April 8th, which is another, gosh, 30 no uh let's let's see 11 like 19 days after the first thing is due and the reply brief if any is to be filed on or before 5 p.m monday april 15th a week later in 2024 that's it that's the order and my first question is when they say that the question that is before the Supreme Court is whether and if so, to what extent does a former president enjoy presidential immunity from criminal prosecution for conduct alleged to involve official acts during his tenure in office? Now, I thought the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, well, I should say they did rule on this narrow case, whether or not a president enjoys immunity when the alleged crimes are that he tried to subvert the election and stay in office past his four-year term. But this seems to insinuate that they're going to decide whether any president has immunity for their official acts. It seems broader than what the D.C. Circuit Court said. And they also use the word alleged when they actually have to take what's in the indictment as true. Uh, but I think that, you know, that they just are using the word alleged because the indictment, everything in an indictment is alleged until a verdict is handed down in, in the trial. So I don't know, Andy, this just is, um, again, you know, you remember my dream. My dream was that after they denied the leapfrogging thing back in December, mm -hmm. that they would come back and, and deny cert or deny the stay. And that would make this trial get back on track in the fastest way possible. That has not happened. 
as I said in the intro, my dream is dead. Uh, I am also very surprised that they took over a week to grant to treat this as a petition for cert and grant it. As as our guest this week, Steve Vladek said, if you if you remember. Oh, I remember well. <laughs> Steve <laughs> said that every day, that every day they take, uh, the, the longer they take to give any sort of. Uh, answer is probably bad for Trump because it indicates either that they're they've decided not to take it and somebody's writing a dissent uh, or they're doing some you know last minute bargaining or what have you around how to announce that and and his reason was doing this saying yes we're going to take this uh, we are approving your your request for cert certiori um, they could have done that the next day. They could have done that two days later. There was no reason to burn as much time as they have burned uh, since Trump filed this appeal. And so it's really a, it's really bizarre. It, it gets you to the question, well, first of all, I, I, I read the order in the same way that you do. There's two things that really grabbed me. The first was they tee up that question in a way that makes it sound like what you're going to hear next is a narrowing of what they're going to consider, but it's not. It's actually a much broader view. Um, it's really opens the door to the entire can of wax, like what constitutes an official act and what doesn't, and therefore, is there any immunity? And if so, how much? And does it cover official and unofficial? You know, all this kind of stuff is really could be on the table. So it's a. It's, I think it's a pretty broad review. And secondly, is that use of the term alleged, like when you first, when you were reading it before, I'm like, wait a minute, who are they claiming is alleging what? And the only way I could, I could resolve that in my head was that maybe they're, the term alleged, they're referring to Trump's uh, allegation that his, all his acts were official. Maybe. Uh, but, but I don't know. That's not even a natural way to think about that. Um, so it's very confusing, very confusing. Yeah, and it kind of indicates Judge Ludig has said, first of all, there are conflicting uh, opinions among experts about when this trial could go. Uh, Judge Ludig uh, says, and, and I think Renato Mariotti as well, says that they, that they don't think that this will be decided by this term, which ends around July 1st. Oral arguments April 22nd. And the term ends July 1st. And Judge Ludig explained the reason he doesn't think it's going to happen is because it seems clear that of the four justices that wanted to grant cert here, mooting the stay so you don't need the five, um, at least one of them must be dissenting to what the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals decided um, that in this particular case, Donald Trump doesn't have immunity. Uh, and so that makes me wonder if Alito or Thomas or whatever is, is, is one of, is one of these judges who, one of these justices who has said, Hey, I think he gets immunity in this particular case, or I concur that he doesn't. And I have a lot to say about it. And so judge Ludig posits that that decision will take a lot longer then from what April, May, June, mm -hmm. two and a half, two months and eight days, right? It would take longer than a couple of months to decide at this term. That would push this trial past the election. 
Now, some others, uh, uh, including Neil Katyal uh, and Randall Eliason and some other uh, experts are saying, there's a narrow path here to get this done before the election. If they have oral arguments April 22nd and decide in April or early May, and Andrew Weissman also posited this as well, then we may see uh, the trial go before the election. And we're reminded uh, that there, when you know, when they first put this whole trial in D.C. on pause, there were 88 days to the trial, three months basically, until the trial, and that that's how much time would be needed once it's back up underway. Um, how much time would be needed to finish briefing and preparing and all that other stuff? But Neil Katyal suggested that that uh, Judge Chutkin could actually truncate those 88 days in favor of, as she has said in the past, you know, uh, you remember when they were trying to get the limited gag order through and she's like, if you keep talking, I'll make this trial go sooner. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, she, there is a possibility she could truncate those 88 days and, and make the trial start uh, sooner. But regardless of that 88 days, if a decision comes down before the end of the term, we could see the trial go in July, August, something like that. And Andy, this is where my question comes to you because of the DOJ's unwritten policy that we don't do anything overt to interfere in elections. It's not written anywhere, that 60-day before an election policy. Um, however, uh, does trial count or is that more for overt investigative acts? Well, we'll see what DOJ ultimately decides if they have the opportunity to decide that. My interpretation, uh, my argument would be, no, it doesn't apply. The policy does not was not drafted to fit this situation. Uh, the policy speaks to investigative action, and not all investigative action, just overt, like publicly known investigative action, like the the um, execution of search warrants or arrest warrants, things or like an that. Indictment, you, right? Something. You could still, well, if you indicted someone, you could keep it under seal. That would be. True that would be fine. You could still serve grand jury subpoenas or search warrants on, uh, on, uh, businesses and things like that. Um, but you just can't, you'd have to do it with, you know, non-disclosure agreements and things like that. So that's really what the policy is meant to address the overt investigative steps by prosecutors and, and predominantly the FBI. This doesn't really fit with that. Secondly, the schedule is not in DOJ's hands anymore. The schedule is in the court's hands. It's up to the judge to decide whether the case is going to go forward or not. So I really don't, you know, again, you never know. So many things have happened in this that I would not have predicted. Um, but I don't see the DOJ policy being like really the, the bottom line on whether this can happen in those last few months before the election. Much more relevant will be the stink that Trump will make if this thing gets back, if we get a decision in time and the case is, is kind of reinitiated, um, there's no question that he'll wait until the last possible second. There, we still have a long way to go. We still have pretrial motions. We still have all kinds of things that need to be accomplished. He'll file motions and object to all those sorts of things and, and try to appeal the decisions on those, uh, might, you know, on the appeal those decisions as they go against him. And then at the last possible minute, say he'll say, you can't possibly put me on trial now 
in the last two, three months of the election. It's not fair. It's not fair to me as a candidate, not fair to my First Amendment right. It's not fair to all the people who want to hear what I have to say and want to consider voting for me in the election, everything else. And then Chutkin is in a really tight spot because there's a strong argument there. Of course, my response would be, you asked for it. Of course, but if she dispatches (laughs) his request with any sort of uh, speed, he'll then appeal that. So there's so many opportunities here. And we haven't even talked about the fact that the, the decision we ultimately get from this court could be one that requires further action by the trial court. They might say, okay, we're sending back the issue of Here's what we think is an official act. Here's what we think is not. Now we want you, Judge Chutkin, to decide of all this stuff, which one falls in which category. So there's all kinds of ways that this could lead to many more legal issues that need to be resolved. So even if we get it back on in time, there's a lot of runway. Left right, here because if she makes a decision on that and says, okay, I've determined that this isn't part of that and we're going to go forward, that can then be appealed. Exactly. Any adverse ruling on any issue, microscopic or massive, he will appeal. He automatically appeals everything because the strategy here is delayed. So the thing that is really driving me crazy about this is if you think about their, what was their motive for weighing in on this? It could be what you described before, that there is that there are some who are taking his side on this argument, whether it's Alito or Thomas or whoever it might be. Most of the pundits that I'm hearing on television are saying, no, 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 still the odds are that the court will not rule in his favor. They will adopt some sort of ruling that's similar to, or at least to some degree affirms what the DC circuit uh, put out in their decision. If that's true, then they're only taking the case because they think the issue is of such momentous importance that they, the Supreme Court, have to weigh in on it. And if that's true, they are prioritizing their ability to have the final word over the nation's chance of getting this issue resolved before the election. And it is distinctly an an, an issue that has such bearing on the potential votes of close to 200 million people. I mean, it's just, it's just such an act of like, um, in its, in its, uh, most innocent terms, it's an act of unbelievable arrogance. Yeah. I think it's outrageous. I agree. And I want to talk more about that motive, uh, and how this might impact other cases and what this looks like toward the election. If we get the, the, the narrow path of a, of a quicker trial than, post-election, but we need to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, everybody, welcome back. I want to talk more about what you were just talking about, Andy, and that's their motive, that the mm-hmm. arrogance, right? At the at the best, best case scenario, right. they want to swing their robes and and weigh in on this. At least four of them do, which I can, you know, there's four that I can pick out that seem like maybe they are feel like they're more important than uh, democracy. But I, I want to talk about something very interesting. If they were going to grant this, why didn't they grant it in December when asked for the leapfrog? Do you remember yeah, when the first part of my dream scenario yeah. came true? When, <laughs> when Jack Smith actually argued, you have to rule on this. This is important. You are the only court that can decide this. Why didn't they say, yep, you're right, and grant cert before a ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals? Well, I don't know. I mean, every time you layer on another factor like that, it gets a little more complicated to figure out, right? There's that argument. There's also the argument that Judge Ludig put out that you you talked about earlier, and that complicates this understanding of what their motive might truly be. Um, I do think that they exist I think that they have a deep uh, preference for normal order. And I think that that's prob- that was likely a motivating force in their decision in December to say, no, we're not going to go along with the leapfrog approach. Um, and, you know, and we'll see how they handle this, um, how they handle this, this review, because if they just say, okay, thanks for your quick briefing uh, responses and we'll hear the case and then it slots right into all the other ones and we'll, we'll announce it sometime next year, we'll know that that, you know, they're, I think that even if, even if they do those, make those decisions out of these kind of, I don't know, ridiculously institutionalist uh, perspective of trying to, trying to just keep things in normal order. It at least indicates a, a an oblivience that borders on uh, arrogance about what is really at stake here. Like, you didn't see this in uh, Bush v. Gore. They didn't right. sit around and say, all right, normal briefing schedule. We'll talk to you. Maybe you'll hear from us next year. We'll have one of our mystery 
drops on a Friday afternoon a year from now with the actual decision. They have the ability to do things as quickly as they want. They could say, brief it. You each get one shot. Here's your day of briefs, and we'll see you next week for the argument. Well, that's what Jack Smith asked for, and I I wanted to bring that up. Jack Smith wanted 10 days for the first brief, seven days for the second, and five days for the third if necessary. That's like 22 days. Here, we've got almost two months. Yeah. I mean, the case I like to point to is, um, I think it's ex parte queer in the case against the German saboteurs in the in World War II, and you know Roosevelt's order to put them on military commissions trials. They were all on trial within like two weeks, yeah. and uh, the, then they filed that motion that the military, you know, challenging the the constitutionality of the military commissions. Bam! It went right to the Supreme Court, who they were in recess at the time, and so they all convened at one of the judges' houses in New York and argued it in his in his living room, and that the the decision came out not the written opinion, but the decision came out like a week later. Like they've been doing this before. Well, Watergate, not- I think they took out of term as well, and and had an issue a ruling issued in two weeks, sixteen days, um, for the Nixon tapes, um. So that also is another example, uh, but also an example that this might go quicker than uh, like Renato Mariotti or Judge Ludig are, are insinuating. However, I have now kind of lost all faith <laughs> in them doing this in a, in a quick manner uh, I, with regard to the election. I now am, uh, you know, I, I generally don't tip toward pessimism, but like you the have court no is, reason for faith. The court is just slowing this down. Yeah, you, you have. I mean, I, you know, I try to base my decisions on things, on fact, on evidence. What evidence do we have upon which to to draw a particular conclusion or prediction? And right now, you have no evidence upon which you could base the conclusion that oh well, they'll do this very quickly. And well, we'll all the evidence we'll pointed to them denying the stay, right? And, right. and, they, and they still logic points to them affirming essentially what the D.C. Circuit decided, but maybe not. I mean, I think literally, I think the whole thing is up in the air. It's like an issue of first impression. I still think they'll affirm the D.C. Circuit. It may be seven to two, maybe eight to one. Somebody might want to write a long dissent. But maybe. all I can do now is hope that they get this decision out in a May time frame, a May-June time frame. Uh, and if the 88 days is not truncated by Judge Chutkin, that puts us at a trial starting in August. And that means that, and, and Jack Smith has said in, in several filings that the trial will take three months, probably. That puts the trial for August, September, October. Now, talk about an October surprise. <laughs> I mean... Uh, I, just, I mean, that's that's kind of good for Democrats in a political way if that's how it all shakes out because you know, voters not. have short memories. Who knows? Maybe not. Like being on trial every day, maybe that's the best form of campaigning in 2024. I don't know. But I just think that the idea that a federal judge is going to schedule a trial like that, bumping up against the election for the next president of the United States, I just think it's unlikely. Well, she did say she had a vacation in August, but she's going to cancel it because she thought she might be at trial. Yeah, that could have been hoping that she was at a trial that had started in That was the end of the trial. Yeah, right. (laughs) Not the beginning of the (laughs) trial. (laughs) Not picking a jury in August. I mean, it's... 
Yeah, I think the chances of it going before the trial are now unlikely. It's kind of flipped upside down. Before the and election? Yeah, the, uh, the chances of the trial going before the election are unlikely. And if it doesn't, the chances of the trial ever happening, ever, are no better than 50-50. Mm. Well, it was up to us, the voters, in 2020, and uh, when we again. didn't get any of the uh, Mueller stuff indicted, uh, like we thought we would, because Bill Barr tanked all that with his legal counsel memos and deliberative process privilege and all that jazz. Um, I mean, we're, we, <laughs> we'll have to see how it shakes out. Um, now it's, you know, normally I'd be like, no, nah, it'll go, it'll go before the election because I think they'll come out with a decision, uh, in plenty of time. But with this slow walking of this grant of cert and the fact that they just didn't deny the stay, I mean, I, I at, the, at the very least, at the very least, they scheduled a, a relatively expedited briefing schedule and our oral argument, right? We're still in the same term. They're still there. They don't have to be called back. Um, and we could very well get a decision before the end of this term, right? That's one scenario. If if we get a decision before the end of this term, I think the trial goes before the election. If we do not, we do not. And at this point where I would normally be like, it'll definitely go. I am actually just 50-50. It could go either way based on what the Supreme Court did today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see that. I For me, like June 1st, if they, if they get a, if they get a, a ruling, ruling, if Jack Smith gets a favorable ruling, you don't know that he will. I think, I think most people sure still will. assume he will, and that's probably the smart money. But if he does, by June 1st, you have a chance, a slim chance of getting it in before then. Um, but boy, it gets really hard to see that path after June 1st. Yeah. Just because of all the work they have to get done and then the three-month trial, which is right in the heat of the, of the campaign, I feel like that's going to be a tough one for her to force. Yeah. I... But who knows? She's a, she's a tough woman. Yeah, let me let me read to you what the D.C. Circuit ruling said. They said um, that they have no occasion to decide the big questions uh, because they are only looking. They said we're we're deciding issues quote specific to the case before us, in which a former president has been indicted on federal criminal charges arising from his alleged conspiracy. There's alleged to overturn federal election results and unlawfully overstay his presidential term. That's what they decided. But here, they say the question is whether if, whether and if so, to what extent does a former president enjoy immunity from criminal prosecution for conduct alleged to involve official acts? That doesn't seem like they have dicta here to decide that because that's outside of the scope of what the D.C. Circuit Court decided and put in writing and said, we're only deciding this very specific thing. So it's very interesting to me that, yeah, that they decided they even have dicta here, meaning that, that, that this is something that they can, you know, argue or rule on. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like the whole issue. Like I was really hung up on Trump's, um, 
request for the mandate. I can't even remember how he framed the thing. Basically, his request for the stay, to keep the stay in place. Because it wasn't actually captioned as a, as a request for certiorari and a request to review the case. Um, so but Jack Smith asked for it. Jack Smith d- said. Yeah, he did. But yeah. in, in essence, the Supreme Court, they say how it is. So they can say, here's what we're going to consider. And, you know, you, no, no one, you can't go back to them and say, oh, uh, not, so, not so fast, justices. This isn't squarely in the crosshairs of what the circuit court decided. They you just look at the papers. Arguments, right? I mean, they could be like, "Look, we, we, this is specifically decided on this, so we don't need to. We can save for another day whether all presidents are immune from all official acts or whatever." And 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 you know, like you said, they could remand this back to Judge Chutkin, creating this whole new appellate process and 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 motion practice if need be, because they want her to decide something. It sounds like the way they're teeing it up is that they, like you said, they may say. We think that presidents do have some immunity for some official acts. Right. It's up to you now, Judge, to decide go, if go this sort is- it out. Mm-hmm. That could take six months. Yeah. Could take a year or more with um, with embedded Supreme Court uh, appeals. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I, of, I have yeah. one more uh, thing I want to talk about, but uh, again, we need to take another quick break. So, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. 
Welcome back on this dark, dark day where <laughs> Allison's dreams have day. died. <laughs> it's the place where dreams go to die. I was so sure. I even spent a Friday night like a party animal writing a mock decision on a, this. a mock victory lap, a Oscar speech for the immunity decision mm-hmm. day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and mine, uh, Andy, said... The application for a stay of mandate pending review presented to the chief justice and by him referred to the court is denied. The questions, whether presidents enjoy immunity from official acts and whether the impeachment judgment clause and principles of double jeopardy foreclose the criminal prosecution, are unprecedented questions and raise serious substantial concerns. However, the Court of Appeals had no occasion to decide these questions because it analyzed and rejected President Trump's immunity and double jeopardy claims specific to the case before them. Because the Court of Appeals concluded no immunity attaches to a president's commission of a federal crime to subvert the electoral process, it is not necessary to determine whether the double jeopardy claims or immunity for official acts applies in other situations. For those reasons, President Trump would not likely succeed in reversing the circuit court ruling, and the public and law enforcement interest in swift justice countervails concerns of stifling executive authority. The same public and law enforcement interest weighs against the application, even if the standards to grant a stay had been met. Justice Thomas would grant the application. The end. That's what I wrote. (laughs) I like yours better than theirs. I mean, for real. It was so much better. Made so much sense. But now here's here's the question for you. Judge Cannon, and we're going to talk about the the Mar-a-Lago case uh, on the regular episode of the Jack podcast this Sunday. Uh, but Trump has submitted an immunity filing, an immunity brief uh, to dismiss a motion to dismiss on immunity claims with her. And she has a hearing this Friday, a long awaited hearing to decide the disposition of the case and the trial schedule and all that other stuff. Um, she's denied some SEPA section four motions from Trump and Nada and Dale Oliveira. And again, we'll talk about those Sunday. She, she did a, she did a right thing, but she could now say, in this hearing about when the trial goes, hey, Supreme Court's deciding immunity on official acts. And since Trump is claiming that he has immunity on this official act of declaring the documents personal records, uh, we're going to stay this whole trial until the Supreme Court comes down with a decision. So we might get a delay in that case as well. We could. We could. She could also say, if he's if he's actually, once that motion's actually filed, it's been filed in that case already, right? Yeah. Or is this just one of the ones he's saying is coming? No, he's filed it. It's already filed. So she could just say, I'm going to hold that one until we hear what the Supreme Court says and just keep <laughs> keep moving forward on... on um, CPA stuff, maybe? I don't know. There's, would, she'd be crazy to move forward on it. Hi. In any way. Like, there are factual determinations she'll have to make no matter oh, the what the Supreme Court thing. decides yeah. on immunity, she will have to make factual determinations and their holding will be directly relevant to how she does that. So she she can't decide on that thing. But I think it's, um, you know, Hill, if she says, okay, fine, we'll put that one on ice and everything else moves forward, he'll immediately appeal that to the 11th Circuit saying it should be an interlocutory appeal. It should shut the trial down. So. You're gonna, yeah. You're gonna go down essentially the same the same road in uh, Florida. Yeah, I think her lawyers this Friday during that hearing will ask for a stay based mm-hmm. on Supreme Court deciding to grant cert 
Yeah. You know, it's, the other thing that's <laughs> interesting so to me about My this. Mind, I'm just, I can't fathom it. I know. The other thing that I can't get off with considering here, and again, this is the unknowable, right? We're trying to think about their motives and all that other stuff, but you have to assume that on some level they were, uh, the fact that they're not rushing more to get this, now they decided to take it, they're not really rushing intensively to get it resolved quickly to put the case back on trial if that's in fact what their holding is going to be. And if that's the case, maybe they're thinking like, well, you know, we don't want to give the impression that we're rushing this to happen before the election and therefore treating this defendant differently and prioritizing, you know, the election over the defendant's rights. But that theory completely, completely ignores the rights and interests of justice and 200 those, million Americans' ability to vote. Those countervailing issues right? Uh, like, that I brought up, because they did it in Trump v. Thompson, right? Trump wanted right. A, executive privilege to prevent documents from going to the January 6th committee from the National Archives. And the Supreme Court was like, it doesn't matter if you have executive privilege or not. The importance of the, this investigation and the importance that they get this these these documents outweighs, countervails right. your executive privilege, even if you had it to to exert and you don't, but even if you did, this is more important. And and uh, time and again, we've seen Jack Smith argue the the importance of swift, importance of swift justice and the public's right and the law enforcement's right to of to course speediness. people's right to vote, which is central to the case itself, as he's been as he's been charged with obstructing that. So to any to to any extent that they were considering, well, we don't want to give the impression that we're rushing this to a, to a pre-drawn conclusion or something like this it just completely ignores the opposite side of that equation which is i th i think more compelling but um yeah the whole thing is like is frustrating on a lot of on a lot of grounds well i think we can now say perhaps safely that the sole criminal trial to go before the election for sure is alvin bragg's case <laughs> yeah the business record case in manhattan that sleeper case that that dark horse case right coming up from the back of the pack again mm -hmm. because that was the first indicted now granted it was yeah. for crimes a long ass time ago i mean these crimes took place yeah, in 2016 worked on that thing for five years or something but <laughs> so this isn't the first coup case or documents case to go but it's the first criminal trial to go it starts March 25th, that's when jury selection begins. It's supposed to last, you know, what, four to six weeks, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but when I think when voters are asked, you know, voters were asked if in the exit polls in, the, in some of these primary races, Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina, they were asked, if the president is convicted, does that change your vote? And it, anywhere from a third to a half of them said, yeah. But I think maybe they were thinking convicted in the coup trial, not just convicted on any felony. And by the way, I can't believe we live in a time where we have to parse out which conviction. Which, which of the former president's current felony charges you. would affect your vote? I mean, you'd have to hand each one of them a list of 91 different charges and they could check the boxes they liked. <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to say. And and again, like the public's right to know that the resolution of these issues, the resolution of the fact that 
grand jurors determined there was probable cause to believe that a crime had been committed here, four crimes in particular in this case. And the, the those charges will, you know, probably we're at a 50-50 chance of those charges ever being resolved by a free, fair, and impartial jury. And that is outrageous. I, I just find that to be um, terrible, not just for this result. I think it sends such a such a resounding message to the rest of the country and indeed the rest of the world. Like th- there is no one else in this country who would have been given the the same level of special handling and special treatment and consideration and appeals as this defendant. And I guess what we all take from that is $50 million worth of legal fees gets you out from under a case like this. Um, delays it long there's enough. Thousands of Americans will go through the criminal justice system every year, federal criminal justice system in this country uh, this year and every year after. And none of them, will have the opportunity to manipulate the timing of their trial and the resolution of their charges in the way that this defendant has been given by the courts. Yep. And I want to talk just a little bit more about that due process, but we have to take one more break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. 
right, welcome back. Let's talk about due process. Uh, Trump has filed several motions in a lot of his cases, motions to dismiss, based on all kinds of things. We're talking right now about immunity, presidential, absolute presidential monarchy, right? <laughs> we call yeah. it the monarchy yeah, filing. Yeah. Um, he files for vindictive and selective prosecution. He files for uh, Jack Smith not being appointed properly. Um, but he also, uh, pre-indictment stuff, He but he also files for lack of due process. He has somehow not been afforded due process. And I, you know, I've think to myself, especially in light of today's grant of cert by the Supreme Court, that I don't know, and this is, uh, you know, just to, to piggyback on what you said right before this last break, I've never heard of anyone who got as much due process in this country as as Donald Trump has been afforded. And so I, it's got to be I mean, what must it be like right now at the special counsel's office? I mean, if you've been in a, on a special counsel team, what is the what is the feeling inside that office right now with this ruling? Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I mean, I built the special counsel team for right, Mueller. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, on it, but um, I gotta imagine that I've been on a lot of big investigations and and spent my career around investigators and prosecutors. I, I gotta imagine they are just gobsmacked right now and and angry and frustrated they can't they'll never ever say anything about it because they do not uh speak about uh judicial rulings and things in the cases they work that would be uh horrible so that you won't hear that from them but there's no doubt this is just a really swift kick in the chest um which they'll get they'll dust themselves up off and get back up and start uh figuring out the next step forward um I just, I feel like, well, as you said, I mean, if you want to hear, like, if you want to understand this due process difference, think about it just in the context of these gag orders, these attempted gag orders, these multiple gag order motions. Now we're going to have one in Alvin Bragg's case. I'm telling you right now, there's not another defendant in this country who would ever have been given the amount of consideration and delicacy. Narrowing. And, you know, he's running for president, so he has this, you know, whatever we're calling this, I don't know, an enhanced First Amendment right. Um, we can't possibly have him, you know, um, uh, limit his own speech in any way. No. AG, I'm telling you right now. If you get charged and you start firing off things on the Mueller She Wrote Twitter account about how horrible the judge is, you're going to get told no more Twitter for you. Yeah. No more Twitter for you. So every step in this process is, you know, everything from no raid jackets at the at the at the search warrant all the way through motions. We're not going to go into the locked closet. We're not even going to contest whether or not there's jurisdiction to hear this case in front of the DC circuit on immunity issue, because it's not a proper interlocutory appeal. No, we justice department. We want you to hear it because we think it's so important that we get a resolution to this. Like, yeah, maybe they may be second guessing that decision tonight. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. And the end result is going to be a great denigration of the com criminal justice system. I think people will rightly step back from the situation and look at it. And whether they like Trump or don't like him, whether they vote for him or don't vote for him, want him to win, don't want him to win, whatever. If you don't like him, you're going to look at this and say, total abrogation of justice. There's no accountability for political people in this country. And if you do like him, you're like, well, I guess that's what you have to do. You got to be rich like Trump and 
you know, a, a loud mouth or whatever. I don't, I don't know what the reasoning will be, but it's not the, the experience that any, any of us will get. No. And same in the, in the documents case, as we've long said, if I had a bunch of classified at home yeah, and didn't return it all on a subpoena, I'd yeah. be in jail. I'd be in jail right now. Uh, pre-trial detention. <laughs> Tashera is in jail right now. Uh-huh. Got arrested. He had a, he had a full big old arsenal, uh, but you know. Yeah, but, yeah. but still, reality I mean, winner. Uh, yeah, the 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 guy who gave Trump's taxes plus thousands of other people's taxes to the public. He's five years in prison. Right. Um. The it, it, yeah. It's. It's um. Yeah, I don't know. It's really uh, there. If you're trying, it's hard to get your head around. If you're trying to give a makeover to the Department of Justice, this court is not helping you. No, not at all. Not uh, at all. They're sinking it. And not much of a sense of urgency there. If I'm if I'm Jack Smith today, I'm in the office saying, why the F when I told you in December that I wanted you to hear yeah. this and that only you could decide this, why did you deny my petition for cert then only to grant it now. Right. It makes no sense. And if they had granted cert in February and still came out with this kind of slow ass expedited schedule, we would have had oral arguments this month. Yeah, exactly. Like what, what we're getting from the Supreme court would be like, here's, here's my analogy. You're like deathly ill and you call your doctor and say, I'm on death's door here. I got to come in and see. You. And they say, okay, we'll, we'll have first available appointments in two weeks. And you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm really in bad shape. And they say, okay, um, we'll see you in 10 days. No, not good enough. Like th- <laughs> that's what the Supreme Court has done. Th- it's not good enough. A- end of April, we're going to hear the case. No, yeah. th- it's not going to make it. What you need to do is hear it now. You should have made this decision and notified everyone a week and a half ago. And we should have already had the first round of briefings submitted. Well, you should have now. granted cert in December if you were going to grant yeah, cert. Yeah, exactly. You've exactly. done it 16 other times in the last however many weeks, as Steve Vladek put out a chart. You could have cut this entire thing down. But, you know, now they've decided to grace us with their with their presence and their wisdom. So we'll see what happens. I wish we knew more about what goes on behind those scenes, just like I wish we knew more about what goes on behind the scenes of the Department of Justice. Because we are all left to guess and speculate and wonder, um, but this does not seem like justice to me. And uh, well, it's, it's not very, finished very frustrating. yet. I so know. we'll have to see. But uh, it's frustrating, and it seems it seems like a decision that was made in the abstract without much consideration for the reality of what's happening here in the court system and the effort to try to get a very significant case. Uh, at least heard and put in front of a jury before hundreds of millions of Americans have might want to consider it before the election. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't really explain it. Yeah, and I think that I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'll ask um, some Supreme Court experts, but I'm pretty sure that this briefing schedule is not appealable, nor no. is this ruling. No. Um, Who are you going to appeal to? Or this order. 
there's no one else. They decide these things, and then that's just how it is. Yeah, no I, I know, criticize. but I, I feel like if I were Jack Smith, I'd want to write a letter like, guys, really, April? <laughs> you could write a letter saying, we request reconsideration of the schedule, and they'll take two weeks. And then tell you no. <laughs> Just push it back, and right? And then say, okay, now everything's backed up two weeks because we were busy with that other letter. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta, at some point, you gotta uh, pick your battles, I guess. Mm. Well, All right. Well, we little. Well, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Other than I, on you the know. on the upside. I got nothing. Nope. Yeah. No, this <laughs> there's week's, no upside uh, to this. This one. week's good week, bad week is going to be pretty, uh, pretty, pretty dismal. bad, pretty dismal, yeah. pretty bad for the good guys. Um, but we, we, we did get correct rulings from Canon on right. some SEPA Section Four stuff. Let's save that as a little nugget of <laughs> of treat to have uh, to have on Sunday morning. Well, geez, all we're going to be reporting on from now through April is the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Sure, cases. <laughs> Unless she stays it on April 1st or March 1st, then we're going to be like, all right, well, um, yeah. I guess we could go back and go over some of these decisions in more detail my, because of the absolute um, crazy amount of news that we've had to My summer on. travel schedule might get much easier based yeah, on the court. Exactly. But we anyway. will continue to be here. We will continue to bring you the news and uh, we appreciate you listening. We will be back in your ears on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this emergency episode of The Death of Allison's Dream. <laughs> the grant of cert by SCOTUS in the immunity case. Do you have any final thoughts, my friend? Hang in there. We Bye. haven't heard the end of the story. Who knows where it'll end, but we'll be here to, to talk you through it. And um, yeah, I'm Andy McCabe. I'm Allison Gill. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. 
So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.